0: Good morning, church. Uh, Good to be with you today. We got all of our campuses joining us right now, and all of those joining us online, we are going to dive and do a teaching series today straight from the Old Testament. We're looking at Gideon. And I think sometimes when we dive into these uh, to these places in the Old Testament, in particular, we kind of need some context to understand this. It's like we're parachuting into a situation that has all kinds of context, and I think it's very helpful for us to kind of know it. Whether you've been in church for a long time and maybe you remember the story of Gideon, but but I'm telling you, it's so power packed. I, I can't wait to dive into this for all that it has for us. But also, like if you've never, if you didn't grow up in church, you may not even know who this guy is. You may know nothing about him. So I want to help us to have that context that will, I think, help us really understand what's going on here. So Gideon is a judge, all right? He's a judge in the Old Testament, but that's not to be confused with the kind of judge that you would think of today. He's not like a judge with a robe and a gavel in his hand. This period of Israel's history is known as the era of the judges, and these judges were simply people that God raised up to lead his nation during this very critical time, okay? And Gideon's gonna be one of those. Now, it was a tough time. This is a very tough time, and it was of Israel's own making. They had made some mistakes, and we're gonna see what all that's about. But I want you to understand the timeline. When did Gideon take place? So let's go into the Old Testament. We're gonna put on the screens and online and all of our campuses right now a timeline to help you understand. And I'm just gonna fly over the top of it. This will be Old Testament biblical history Beginning with Abraham, where God makes the initial covenant with Israel through Abraham, it's known as the Abrahamic covenant. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Then Abraham has a son, Isaac. You Remember, that's the kid he takes up on the mountain. And I'm sure Isaac's like, ooh, that's a sharp knife. And luckily he didn't use it. You know the story. And uh, so we carry on, right? And then you get to Jacob and, and uh, I, one, of, one of Isaac's sons, Jacob, he has a bunch of boys. And one of his boys is uh, Joseph, who has a really beautiful coat of many colors. And uh, Dolly Parton wrote a song about it it's really great if you've ever heard it. Um, and then Joseph ends up in Egypt and he starts on the bottom, but he works his way up and Joseph, Jacob's son ends up in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world and becomes basically the vice president, if you will. He's the second in command. He brings his family over. Everything's good until Joseph dies and the Pharaoh who loved him dies. And then the Egyptians decide, we don't like these people. We're going to turn them into slaves. And they do. And the people of Israel live under slavery. Then Moses is born during this time of slavery. Moses is a Hebrew. He's born. They push him across the Nile in a basket, if you know the story. And Moses is then raised until he's 40 years old. He lives in the courts of Egypt as a son of Egypt. He's educated, he's militarily trained, he, he's wealthy, he's all of those things. And at 40 years old, he realizes, I'm a Hebrew, they've turned my people into slaves. He kills an Egyptian soldier. He ends up in the desert where he has to flee for his life. And he spends 40 years there as a sheep herder, basically. And he, uh, he's out there in the desert, minding his own business he's now an 80 year old man he comes into a burning bush the burning bush tells him hey you're gonna go and you're gonna tell the pharaoh and if you grew up like I did in church we had a song hey yo pharaoh let my people go how many of you remember that little song just right look at all the people if you didn't grow up in church let me just tell you yep we're as weird as you thought we were you see that that there you go and uh And he does. And he leads the people, and it's known as the Exodus, next on your timeline. He leads the people of God through the Red Sea. On the other side, we all know that they end up messing up, and God's got to teach his people. So they spend 40 years wandering in the desert, just walking in circles, literally. And there's all kinds of great stories that happen there. But then it's time to go into the promised land, which God said, this is your land. Canaan, the promised land, lots of different names interchangeable for it. And Moses doesn't get to go. He's now 120 years old. He passes the torch of leadership to a military leader by the name of Joshua. And Joshua takes them into what's known as the entrance into Canaan, 1406 B.C. They go into Canaan, and here's where our, this is going to matter, so let your mind get sticky now. Okay, here's the deal. God tells his people, this land is my land I'm giving to you, but there's some bad people living on it. And here's what I need you to do. These are nations of people, small nations. They do not believe in me. They do not trust me. They're evil. Not only that, they're powerful. Not only that, they will aggressively try to assimilate you into their culture, into the way they worship. And I can't have that happen because you're my chosen nation. I'm going to bring the Messiah out of you. I got to keep you pure. So I need you to go into that land and take it, every inch of it. And he guarantees them. He says, and I'll be with you. You won't lose a battle. You fight for me, you win. And it's, but you got to run them all out. You got to get them out of there. Okay. Now we understand why. Because not only it's his land, they're on it and they shouldn't be there, but also they will infiltrate God's people if they don't clear it out. That's his command and his great wisdom. And he guarantees you'll win. Well, it starts off well. in the Canaan, we all know Joshua, walls of Jericho. They don't even fight. They're like, walls fall all good. A little jazz band plays, you win the battle. Wow, this is good. And then over time, they take land and take land and take land, and then Joshua dies, and the new bunch decides, you know what? I don't think we need to take more. We've done enough. If you look on a map, you'll see that there was more of the promised land left to take than they had taken so far, and they stopped. And there's a reason they stopped. And I want you to know, as you look at this period of the judges, which is where we are now, after Joshua, they stop. Gideon's here. We're in this little time period. And it'll help you to know that after the period of the judges is going to come who? David and Saul. That's Right now, God's raising up judges to lead. One day, he's going to raise up a king. And all of this is pointing to, understand, Jesus. Because Jesus is going to be the ultimate judge, the ultimate king, the ultimate leader that's going to come that's going to like do everything. And and a whole Bible's pointing to him. But here we're gonna parachute in, we're gonna spend six weeks hanging around Gideon in ancient Israel, and why would we do that? Because the New Testament says that the Old Testament is a huge gift to us. It's of immense value, and here's why. Because it's there to instruct us. It's not important that you get to know Gideon, it's important that you get to know Gideon's God. And since God doesn't change, We get to view Gideon interacting with God and we can all together say, oh, that's how God works. Oh, that's how he works in my life. Because you're gonna find that everything has changed in the world since Gideon's day. We got cars and stuff and iPhones. They didn't have any of that. We got grocery stores. But here's two things that hadn't changed. Human nature and God. So we can go, oh, this is how he works. And that's what we're going to do for six weeks. And I think you're going to love what you're going to see here. So let's go to Judges 6, 1 through 6. we parachuted in. And you're going to see what's going on. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midians seven years. And Israel, Midianites. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord few things here first of all I want you to see what's going on now you know because we did all that work to contextualize it now you know what they did that was evil in the sight of the Lord what did they do two things They didn't do what he told them to do, take the land, clear it out. And number two, they allowed those nations who they let hang around, they allowed them to begin to impact them. They had begun to worship some of their false gods. They had begun to do their customs because they didn't get them out of the way. And that just happens. The Bible warns us of that. So they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But not only that, we also need to understand what's happening here. Even though, like why did God have to have the Israelites play trumpets? Because they weren't good at fighting yet. They're not exactly military people. They're agrarian. They grow stuff. That's what they can do. They're good farmers. And so uh, what happened is, is they're taking the land and taking the land. They ran into some new military technology. We know this from history. The nations they were facing had invented the ability to harvest iron. And they were keeping that technology hidden until you ran into them on the battlefield. And Israel ran into them. In particular, the Bible lets you know in Judges chapter 1, they had iron chariots. No one had ever seen that. So they're like, I got you, shooting an arrow, bing, it just flies off. Like, Ooh, whoa, what is that? Now we look and we go, oh, that's primitive. It wasn't primitive then. It was cutting edge technology. It'd be like you going out in a war, war, war uh, World War I plane and seeing like a modern jet coming at you. And you'd go, oh, okay, we, we're, this is a different game. It scared the Israelites to death that they had this weaponry that they couldn't deal with. Now, what had God told them, though? God didn't say if you run into some high-end weaponry, watch out. No, he said, you, I'm going to win the battle for you. You keep going. And they stopped. In fact, they not only stopped, they started living in the hills. This is where the Israelites became hill people. Now, if you run into people who have high-end chariots that are made out of iron, you've never seen anything like it, where would you go to slow those chariots down? Into the hills. Hard to get a chariot up through the rocks in the hills. So the Israelites start hiding out in the hills. They stop taking ground. And they start growing their crops in the in-betweens of these hills to try to protect themselves. The problem was the Midianites came for their crops. They're bullies. So they would grow their crops. It would look like this during the day. It'd be all beautiful. And then they'd wake up the next morning. It'd look like this. It'd be gone. And they go, why is that a big deal? That'd be like your Piggly Wiggly and your Publix being burned down every day. It'd be like your pantry at home being raided. You wake up the next morning and it's all gone, Right? Or today, in the modern world, a walk-in pantry. Because back in the day, a normal cabinet with food would be great. But today, if you can't put a bed and a refrigerator inside your pantry, <laughs> it's not good enough. Whole other sermon series. <laughs> Materialism in the modern day. Anyway, so here we go. So, that's, so now we got the context, right? Israel's being bullied. And they're starting to be wishy-washy on their worship. They didn't do what God wanted them to do. These Midianites are bullies. They got better technology. And then they're like, hey... If you won't fight us, here's what we'll do. We'll get you at night. We'll come and take your crops. You grow them, we take them. And that's what's happening when we parachute in. And they cry for help. So the Israelites were agrarian and they became vulnerable for these Midianites to rob their crops. And if you don't miss this, the Lord allowed this. God is using the Midianites as a tool of his discipline. He's the one behind it. And if you look at it, you go, now why would he do that? He does it because he loves them. Because if he does not correct them now, it's going to be a mess later. Isn't that true of disciplining your own children? Isn't that true in your own life? If you don't deal with it now, it's going to be a bigger problem later. They were vulnerable, and the Bible says they cried out to the Lord. But notice something that they are not doing yet. They are not repenting yet. They just don't like being robbed every day. So they're not saying we messed up, God. We disobeyed you. They're just going, help. We need some help here. God does not first raise up a judge because when he raises up a judge, it means deliverance time has arrived. He's about to clear house. He doesn't do that. Before he sends the judge, Gideon, he sends a prophet. Before he sends a rescue, he sends a sermon. Look what he says here. Judges 6, 7 through 10. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a judge first, no, a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, so God speaks to his prophet. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And listen to what he says. I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you. I gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Watch this. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now that's a daddy talking to his kids. He says, I gave you a track record. It's not like you don't know who I am. Hello, do you remember? Walls fall down. You know who I am. You do remember the Red Sea story, right? So I gave you a track record. I told you that it didn't matter who came against you. You win if you obey me. And you stopped. And not only that, you're afraid. Do you know the most repeated, to show you that God doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The New Testament, the number one phrase he says to believers, the number one is some form of do not fear. Do not be afraid. He doesn't want us to live in fear. Nothing good comes when we live in fear but what we see here is that god disciplines his children as a father he sends a prophet first not a judge he sends a sermon first not a rescue it'd be like this i'm about to tell you a story that is i am making it up my oldest son has never done what i'm about to tell you but let's just say he did i'm not saying it's not possible Let's say my son is going to go out with his friends, which he often does. And he's awesome and so very responsible, so he probably would never do this. But let's say I walk up in the driveway, and the car he's taking is sitting there. And I just to check, just being a dad, I check, and I, it's on empty, like the light saying it's empty. So I walk in, and I look at my oldest son. and I say, hey, bud, before you go out tonight, you need to go get some gas. It's on empty. I don't know if you've noticed. Okay, dad. And I walk on, right? And then about an hour later, I get a call. And he's frantic on the phone. Dad, Dad, hey, what's up? Are you okay? Dad, I'm on the side of the road. I'm on I-10. Car won't even go. I need you to come help me right now. Cars are whizzing by. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out here, man. Come help me. Do something. And I'm like, hey, look over there at the gas needle. What does it say? I already know what it says. Uh, it says it's on empty. Uh-huh. Now watch. Uh, If if I'm a dad, a weak dad, I'm just being honest with you, if I'm wimpy daddy and I acquiesce to every little whim of my children, I'm already in the car. Baby, I'm going to get you, baby. It's going to be all right. You hold on tight. I'm coming. I'm not that dad. So I'm going to say, hey, you remember what I said to you earlier? No. Uh, Remember I said, hey, Gabe. Uh, check the, remember, he's never done this, making it up. Check, he hasn't, check the gas. Uh-huh, now I remember, I'm like, uh-huh. So what, I'm, what am I looking for, by the way, as a dad? He's already given me his cry, come rescue me, come, come fix it. But if I just come fix it, he's gonna do it again. I gotta teach him something if I'm a good dad, right? If I actually care about his future, So I'm going to say, Gabe, I need you to tell me what happened earlier. And I need him to say to me, I'm not trying to pay him back. I need him to say to me, you told me to do it. I didn't do it. I blew it. And then I'm going to go, got the gas tank. I'm coming, baby. Then I I fly into rescue mode. But I can't do that until I get, watch, confession, or I'm not a good dad. And God could have rescued them at any moment, but he first sends a prophet to go, guys, There's a reason this is happening. You did not obey my voice. He's a good dad. And if you see his discipline as a bad thing, you don't realize you've got a good dad. He cares about you. He will discipline you. So he sends the prophet. And guess what? They begin to repent. See, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, Hebrews 12, 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God disciplines his children like a father. God disciplines his children like a father does, as a father does. And repentance precedes deliverance. He didn't want just a cry, he wanted a confession. And the people begin to repent after the prophet comes. And guess who they raise up now? Now he sends a judge. And now we get to Gideon because the judges are not there to preach sermons, the judges are there to win battles, to lead. And so, now we're going to get to Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, not the Oprah on TV. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car, not, not that lady. <laughs> Book club of the month, which belonged to Joash. So we got Joash, the dad, Joash, the Abizrite. He has a son, his name's Gideon, and I want you to see what he's doing. It's important. He's beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. All right, let's begin to break this down. First of all, you need to see what he's doing. So now we get Gideon the guy. and. And you need to know what he's doing. He is in a wine press. Most of their homes, because they're agrarian and, they, and they, they drink wine and all that kind of stuff, they would have a wine press, be a small kind of enclosed space. And then they would have this area known as a threshing floor where they do their wheat. But instead of being out there doing the wheat, because it's a very demonstrative thing, you throw the wheat up in the air and the shaft blows away. You need wind movement to make it all work. But instead of that, because the Midianites could see that and they'd come and take it, they're bullies. He's hiding. So there's nothing brave about Gideon. God just says you're a mighty man of valor. He's not. He's in the wine press hiding with just a little, you can't even do it right. He's just trying to get a little bit of wheat to make something to eat. They're starving because the Midianites are taking everything. He's not out there looking at the Midianites going, bring it on. No, no, no. He is scared to death. He's hiding in the wine press and then the angel of the Lord speaks to him. I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. This is Jesus. This is the second member of the Trinity. The Hebrew language will tell you that. This isn't the first time. It's known as a Christophany. Whenever Jesus shows up in the Old Testament before his incarnation, he's fully God. He hasn't become human yet. This isn't the God-man that we'll see later. It's the same member of the Trinity, but he is the eternal son of God with his full divinity, and he visits people in the Old Testament. He does it with Abraham. He does it with, he's at the walls of Jericho with Joshua. And you'll see clues. One is the language tells you, and then you'll see the reaction. Gideon in the end is going to go, oh my goodness, you're God. And Gideon's going to worship him and offer an offering to him. And an angel would never accept those things. And you can see it in the Bible. So this is Jesus, which I just love. I don't know about y'all. I'm excited when Jesus shows up, all right? I'm pretty excited. But I'm a Bible nerd. I get it. Okay, so Jesus is the one talking to him and he says something, I want you to get this. Jesus, God, declared over Gideon not who he is, but who he's gonna become. He says, mighty man of valor. That is not true of him right there. But Jesus does not look at us and just see who we are. He sees what he's gonna do in us. That is such a gift of God in our lives. And by the way, this is the Old Testament pointing us to the gospel, We're a gospel church, we're gospel people. The gospel is the same exact thing. When you came to Christ, I was 12, whatever age you were, when you come to Jesus and believe the gospel, the gospel makes a declaration over your life. It says you are perfect now. Your sins were nailed to the cross in Jesus. You've been given his clean, perfect, spotless record. You're more than a conqueror. You don't have to fear anything. You have eternal uh, uh, salvation. You are now a child of God. You're a full heir. There's all these things that become true the moment you believe the gospel in Christ. All that happens right there. But now watch. I bet you're like me. You hear God say all that to you in the gospel, but you look at what he says and you look at who you are and you go, well, there's a, long, there's a big gap between what God has declared about me and what's actually happened. Does anyone feel that sometimes? Anyone at our campuses right now? You go, wow, there's a big gap. Now watch this. Two things. Number one, Satan loves to play in that gap and shame you. Satan loves to come along and go, I know. Remember what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve? Did he really say? Is that what he really said? To which they should have said, yes. And he'll come to you and he'll go, Is that really what he said? He'll do it with Gideon. Did he really say you're a mighty man of valor? Do you really think this is true? And he begins to mess with our mind. He's the great accuser. And you know what he does? He causes Christians, because of that gap, to live in shame which you've been set free from. But we'll bow down to that shame. Now watch this. You, the second you became a Christian, you were put in a process that God was fully aware of. Here's I told you two things. Satan will mess with you over that gap. God always knew there was a gap. He's not surprised by it. You wanna know why? Because God declares over us what he sees, what he's going to do in us. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're in a process. Satan wants to make you forget that and look at that gap and be shameful of it where God says, look at the gap and see what he's doing in your life. The the, the process of sanctification is that every day, lovingly, like he's gonna do with Gideon, he's gonna move you and line you up with what he's already said about you. But what Satan will do is lie to you. It's like, look, if I were building a house and I was halfway through construction and there's boards up, you can see it, but there's no shingles on the roof yet and there's no electricity. Could you imagine if someone drove by and said, what kind of crazy house are you building, man? I mean, it doesn't even have shingles on it kind of house is this? You don't have any electricity yet. This is crazy. You're wasting your money. What are you doing with this house? And wouldn't you look at him and go, well, hello, Captain Obvious. We're not done yet. Come back in six months. There'll be shingles on it. We're in a process. What are you talking about? But that's what Satan does. Satan comes to you midway through your journey and he makes fun of it and he shames you. And what we should be doing is looking back at him and go, give it a few years, pal. You won't believe what God's doing in me. I know I'm weak. God's making me stronger. You can dance over me right now, but I'll tell you who's really dancing over me is my heavenly father. And he began a good work in me and he's not done yet. He's not done. Come back in a few years. Come back in five years. See who I am in 15 years. My God will be faithful to complete this work in me. That's what we gotta say. And so Gideon is going, I think you got the wrong guy. Obviously, I'm not a man of valor. I'm hiding over here. But Jesus says, no, you are. You're a mighty man of valor. And by the way, let's talk about that wine press for a minute because If Gideon and the people of his nation would have been listening to God, they wouldn't be in a wine press hiding from the Midianites. They would be out in the threshing hold doing their wheat so the Midianites could see, hoping for a battle. If Gideon had listened to God, he'd be standing on the mountainside going, bring it on. God has already guaranteed us victory, but instead he's hiding in the wine press because he's scared of their weapons too. And he's been bullied too. And there's too many of us that way. Some of you have armies, you need to be fighting. Let me tell you what I mean. I mean, you've got stuff in your life that God has told you he can give you victory over, but you're intimidated. You've allowed shame to sink in. And instead of being out front, you're hiding in a wine press, just trying to survive when God's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to follow me and obey me and have victory and be a conqueror in your life. I'll give you one example. I could give you a million, but here's one. I've seen parents before who say, I don't, I can't, I can't parent my kids Uh, and really engage with them in a disciplinary way and lead them. I can't do that because I blew it so bad in my life. I messed it up. I blew it. So who am I to say? And, and, And I just stop you right there and say, who are you? I'll tell you who you are. You're their dad. You're their mom and God has sovereignly put you there. You don't stay in a wine press and hide out. You get out front and you lead and you dare the enemy to bring it all up. Yes, you messed up, but God's put you here. Now, oh mighty man, oh mighty woman of valor, be who God's called you to be right now. Too many of us are hanging out in a wine press when God's saying, I want you out front to lead, to be who God has called you to be, to raise you up to be in Christ. So Judges 6.13, Gideon says to him, please, my Lord, I want you to see his bad theology here. He says, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? That's prosperity gospel in the Old Testament. If bad things happen to me as a believer, it must mean God's not with me. That's what he just said. Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Now the Lord has forsaken us. Giving us into the hand of Midian. Guys, Gideon is demonstrating for us a lack of courage, but also bad theology. He believes an ancient version of the prosperity gospel. If I'm really following Jesus, then everything will go great. Well, if that's the case, then we got some explaining to do to Paul and Peter and all those cats. Because they were following Jesus and they got beat up. (laughs) The gospel of Jesus is much better news than the junk we make up. God does not say he'll get you out of every bad scrape you get in. It's better. He says, no matter how bad it is, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave you hanging. That's what he says to us. In James, it warns us to not think this way. Gideon's gotta have everything grow, including what he believes about God. James says, count it all joy when you... Meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, God's discipline is never random. It's never random. There's a reason he allows things into our lives to grow us. In Judges 6, 14, the Lord turned to him and and again, he won't let Gideon wiggle out from under this. Gideon's like, I'm the wrong guy and I'm not even sure and he's a bit of a whiner, a little bit. All these bad things are happening and God has you know, forsaken us. And it's like, hello, God's standing right in front of you, pal. So he says it again. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. And I love this, do not I send you? In other words, I'm telling you to go. In other words, Gideon, it doesn't matter who you are or who you're not. It doesn't matter what that gap between what I'm telling you you can be and who you are right now. It doesn't matter how wide that gap is. You have no idea what I can do in your life. Just do it. Just obey me. Folks, God wants us to trust his word. He really does. He wants us to take him at his word and really believe him that he will never let his word return void. So Jesus is not backing up an inch with Gideon. He says, no, you're my guy. You're the guy I'm going to use. Yes, you, shaking in your boots, hiding in the wine press, you. This is how I work. Because we all know that in the end, since it's Gideon he's using, it's God that's going to get the glory. God loves to do this, to take a guy no one thought could do it and do it. That's how he works. So Gideon's still not done, Judges six fifteen. He says to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the, you see the shame? It's how we, how can I lead my family? Lord, how can I be the person you've called me to be? And we'll give him our list. So Gideon gives him his list. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. But you do know when you argue with Jesus, you lose every time, right? <laughs> the Lord said to him, I love this, you ready? But I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I love it. He, he, just, he just, he says, yeah, I, weakest clan, I know. You're the weakest among your own family, I get it. But I'm with you. Just breathe that in for a second. That's where our power is. That's where our confidence comes from. I'll be with you. You will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, so Gideon says, if now I found favor in your eyes, show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out a present to set it before you. In other words, an offering. He's offering to him. Now, I love this. So poor Gideon, he's so freaked out now. His whole world is changing in front of him. And then he realizes, this, this is God. I, should make, I gotta make an offering. So in his nervousness, he's nervous. I think as we all are, Uh, are you really still gonna be here when I get back? So he says to him, if I go make a little something for you and bring you back an offering, will you still be here? And I love that Jesus looks at him and says, I will stay until you return. (laughs) It's like Jesus goes, Gideon, I'm not going anywhere ever. I will always be with you. I've never gone anywhere. It's you and your nation that's moved, not me. I'll be right here. You know what this tells me? We're as close to Jesus as we want to be. You can have all of Jesus you want. He's not holding back. You can have every bit of him. You can have his presence. You can have his power. He loves to have you in his presence, wants you to walk with him. You're never going to call Jesus and get ghosted. You're never going to get his voicemail over and over again. Hello, this is the son of God. When I have a chance, I'll call you back. <laughs> Two weeks later, Jesus isn't called. I don't know what's up. He won't return my calls. No, no, Jesus says, I'm here. Gideon, go, make your off. I'll be right here. I'll always be right here. It's us that move. We move. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Gideon perceived, verse 22, that this was the angel of the Lord. In other words, it's God. And look how he, 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 he's really freaked out now. He says, alas, oh Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Remember when Peter realized Jesus was the son of God? He got that, he said, depart. The first thing Peter ever said to Jesus when he realized he was the son of God, he said, get away from me, I am not worthy. You got no idea, I'm a bad guy. I've really. That's what happens when you realize, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm next to Jesus. It's repentance. It's power. So he says, I've seen the angel of the Lord. Basically, he knows I'm gonna die. And now you hear that Jesus talks in the Old Testament the same way he does in the New. The Lord said to him, see if you recognize this language. Peace be to you, do not fear. Remember after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. Peace be to you, do not fear. John, the Revelator, is looking into the future and it's really scary. Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. This is how he talks. He's the same. Come on, help me out. Everybody at all the campuses. Yesterday. Then Gideon built an altar, and he called it "The Lord is Peace." Jesus is the same. Yesterday, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, write it down. Today and forever. One more time, you can write it down. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today and forever. And the same God that is working in Gideon's life is working in your life. Now you've got to decide what's God saying to you today, but here's my question to you as we worship. What is it in your life that instead of being in a wine press hiding, you need to be out front trusting God? Taking action. What is that? And guys, we're only in week one. Let's pray, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. You're good and great. May we follow you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.